This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Those of us who never planned on becoming mothers can shift the tectonic plates of their being and, in the process, level their lives. As a result of this massive disruption, you are shaken to the core and will be catalyzed into an expansion that swallows the life you leave behind whole, enabling you to live fully, heal the deepest parts of yourself, and emerge anew. Not redesigned, but rebuilt, able to create magic in your life in a way that might not have been possible otherwise. Vanessa's words and work are for women who want more than balance. Motherhood is approached from a completely different perspective. Energy management is involved, as well as soul management. It's not about balancing your checkbook and budgeting your time. It's about creating a radical shift in who you are. Valeria interviews Vanessa Broers. She is the author of We Are One, How One Woman Reclaimed Her Identity Through Motherhood. From running away from summer camp at age six to getting called to the principal's office at age 11 for writing a letter to the teacher telling the truth about disliking class, Vanessa Broers seems to have been born with an inability to behave or play by the rules. Guided ferociously by a devotion to truth, insatiable appetite for more, and a refusal to compromise anything she loves, Vanessa was put on this planet to liberate women into their highest potential professionally, power spiritually, and expression personally. She supports powerful women to unapologetically unleash the full truth of who they are so they can create magic, live fiercely incredible lives, and enjoy every single moment while experiencing unprecedented levels of success. Meet Vanessa at thepowergift.com. Here's the interview with Vanessa Broers. In your own words, who is Vanessa Browers? This is such a this is such a deep question. And as I evolve in this body in this lifetime, my preference is to answer that question by the energetics of me. So the truest I know myself to be is love, devotion, magic play, integrity, and joy. And this is a part of my daily sacred decree that I speak. I am who I call Venus, whirling goddess. That's my archetype, that the truest essence of who I am with those qualities. And what I have found in really attuning myself and presencing myself to those energetics, I get to be and continue to evolve into deeper iterations of just the truth of me versus an externalized identity, if that yeah. makes sense. Yes. It's really liberating and confusing all at once. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so true, I have to say. The question that comes to mind immediately as a follow-up is, how did you discover that? Was it a moment in time? Was it a process? How did you come to these understandings? The qualities? Yeah, of yourself. Yeah, the yeah. way you speak. It's beautiful. It's like poetry. This, these particular qualities were the result of a practice I did with my spiritual teachers, Leanne uh, Brooke Tyler and Jonathan Wilkinson. They run a phenomenal business called Waking the Wild. And this is what they call the gold discovery. And it's a fascinating process where you ask 10 people in your world to just answer a couple questions like, what comes into the room when I do, basically, is the question. 
And then you go through and you distill them down into these qualities. And it's such a wild process because of course, no soul can be reduced to five words. And it's really amazing how through this process, and I've, I've witnessed several other people go through it, how it's like your fingerprint. Mm, so it is a process. And this is something that you're still uncovering as of this moment? Yeah, I imagine that they will continue to shift. When I initially did it, joy, joy wasn't in there. And every day as I kept speaking it, because you, you identify them about yourself, but then yeah. as you speak them every day, you sort of continually enmesh yourself with them. Yeah. And so as you speak it verbally, which is such an important aspect of self-creation, mm. I, I, I can attune to them and feel which ones I'm resisting, which ones I'm embodying, and then sometimes which ones start to feel less accurate. Yeah. And then the one day joy just dropped in and I, get, and I said, okay, I guess I'm joy too. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yes, why not? <laughs> Do you make a distinction between happiness and joy or they feel the same to you? Oh, what a good question. They are different. They are different to me. Joy to me, I relate to more like if you've ever read the book of joy, by Desmond Tutu yes. and the Dalai Lama. Yes. Yeah. To me, joy is allowing the full range of the human experience. So I could be in grief and experience joy. I could be in bliss and experience joy, but I couldn't be happy and experience joy if there was some way in which I was resisting grief at the same time. And so to me, happy is more fleeting more momentary, more like an emotion that rises and falls where joy is the sustained welcoming of everything. Yes, it feels the same yeah. way. And to me, it's almost like, um, it's not easy to put into words, right? Because it comes from the, it's almost a space of freedom, feeling, mm. yeah, the non-resistance. It's just so powerful, this idea, this concept of not fighting anything. And then from that space, that state, Everything else arises like these um, beautiful states that we describe as love, joy, inner peace, from that state of freedom. And I can't explain really, well, I could, but I don't want to get into that now. I probably will in, in a bit. I have another question for you. How do you perceive the manifestation of love in this reality, um, Vanessa, as of today as well? I just have to say, I love you. Every question that you share is just like, yes, I love you. Yeah, that's the soul, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> What's not to love about it? The manifestation of love yeah. is something that I have really, really, really been journeying with, I think in all forms in the last couple of years. I think our more culturally accepted experience of love is really limited. Um, Byron Katie says something who I, which I love, which is love kills everything that isn't love. And to me, that's one of the best statements I've ever heard about love, because to me, love is the fiercest, most relentless, um, efficient, effective, unapologetic, expansive forces in the universe but it's not really nice. It's not always gentle. It's not, you know, I, I've been sharing recently about this huge financial crash that I experienced in my life and business recently. And it was pure liberation because it was for sure an act of love from God. And so you would, another one of my favorite teachings is you know, as a mother, would you throw your baby in the fire? And we say, no, I would never because I love my child. And the follow-up part of this teaching is, well, God would throw you into the fire because of his love for you. Mm. And so to me, that's, that's more my experience of the manifestation of love. It's such a, it's such a hot fire yeah. that it will burn up everything that isn't true. Yes. Uh, that resonates very true to me. Um, Yes. Do we have free will in the sense of um, kind of seeing the truth, being able to recognize the truth and then end suffering? Do we have this power, Vanessa, as human beings? 
or do we continue to experience pain and suffering, even though we already know the truth? You know, it's such a tender exploration. And I'm so intimately in that exploration in my own life right now because I, up until very, very recently, would choose suffering. For a long time, I didn't choose suffering. I suffered. And then I saw the value of suffering as a way of almost like purification. And because I have such a devotion, it's like my ego hacked my devotion and used it to perpetuate suffering. Like, oh yeah, yeah, we can suffer because that means we get to evolve. And so there was a point very recently, I mean, very recently within the last few months where I started to question if suffering was, I think suffering is necessary, but I don't think that also means it has to be endless, pervasive and essential if that makes sense. And to me, that distinction is subtle, but really important. What does it look like to evolve without suffering? Mm. Not to avoid it, just to choose something with a little more ease. (laughs) Yeah, right. That sounds very much like that. Do you actually make um, a distinction between pain and suffering or are they different from your perspective? I do think they're different we can experience deep pain. Actually, really, this is going to sound weird, but I really love to experience deep pain. There's something, if we take suffering out of deep pain, can actually feel very nourishing. If I think about grief, for example, to me, reorient, like getting to know grief differently was one of the most tender opening experiences of my life. And when I took the suffering out of grief, I mean, there is just something you can hear, you can feel love inside of it when you take out the suffering. So I do think that pain and suffering can be easily overlapped and intertwined and conflated. But in my experience, the more I've separated them, the more you can start to feel ease even within the pain. Mm. That very much resonates true to me as well, right? This understanding from experience, because I read a lot and I have access to a lot of these profound ideas. So I hear a lot of those things, but then I don't usually talk about it unless it feels true to me, at least for a moment. I have experienced some of that. And it makes a lot of sense, right? When pain and suffering, they are not the same. Because pain seems like a sensation, something that's happening within the body. And then it can be, it's almost like looking closer. It's an invitation to look closer, to get more intimate with it. So it is life itself kind of happening. It's, um, I know it doesn't sound good to say it that way, but it's, right? It's not something to push away, to escape from. We, yes. we can't say that it is, although I have never been diagnosed with cancer or gone through a horrible, excruciating physical pain. So I, I can't speak from that perspective. Have you, Vanessa, I mean, as a mother, I can imagine that's one of my other questions to you. So within, let me ask you another question, within that one, experiencing physical pain and uh, what was that like for you? Ex- excruciating, like almost extreme pain. And then what is to be a mother as of this moment? Mm. So the first question is, have I ever experienced ex- like really intense yeah. pain? Is yes. that the first one? Yes, yes. Physical? Physical, Yes. Um, you know, it's interesting childbirth. Yeah. It's hard for me to say because my childbirth experience was such a weird one. Um, I was in labor for around two days or something like that before I ended up getting an epidural and then following up with a C-section. So I was in a tremendous amount of pain. Also just the way pepper was, in my body, I can't, I can't remember the scientific term, but the not scientific term is sunny side up. So, um, her head was down, but her back was the quote wrong way. So every time I'd have a contraction, it would follow with the spinal contraction. So there was no break between contractions and it was really intense, but 
I was so practiced in the breath uh, from hypnobirthing that I don't even remember it being a problem. And it wasn't like the primal aspect of me kicked online and your body just goes into animal mode. It really wasn't like that. It was a really conscious practice to be with it. Um, and then at one point it just, it really did become too much and I was so exhausted. Um, so it's, it, I, I really have to wonder though, if that kind of excruciating physical pain is different than, for example, cancer, I've never had anything yeah, like that, right, so I can't right, speak to it, but right. there's a real curiosity that I have that I want to very gently and tenderly explore the differences and the sameness does that make sense? Yeah, it very much does. But you don't consider that to be suffering, the pain you had. No, no. Suffering. Yeah, because it feels like suffering is the, let's see, it's almost like the carry on of that pain. It's almost like being traumatized yes. by the physical pain or emotional pain and then carrying that on just day after day. And speaking of grief, somebody said something beautiful. Um, that was a long time that I interviewed somebody, but I had lost her. She lost her child, and she said, "Grief is love with nowhere to go." Mm. That stayed with me. Never, never left me. Do you know my favorite all-time teacher on grief is a is an I really should learn how to pronounce his last yeah. name is Martin Prechtel. I don't know he's who he a, is. He's a shaman. He actually mm. lived only about five hours from me. Right. And his teaching on grief changed th- me in this life and subsequent lives. Mm. And like, actually, <laughs> yes, like back and sure. down the other side. <laughs> he says, yeah. is when you praise something you've lost and praise is when you grieve something you've got. Right. I mean, have you ever had that moment where you're mm. with your dog or your husband or a yeah. friend and you're so overwhelmed mm. with, gratitude that you start crying and you're like, am I, am I grieving? Am I, what's happening here? <laughs> yes. Right. And yes. he calls that as praise. Praise is the, yeah. the recognition that you're grieving what you have. And it's so beautiful. Right. Yeah. That happens right with me. Uh, it used to happen when my dog was, uh, he's two years now. Yeah, I used to look at him and kind of, because I do visualization on detachment in a sense of not engaging, but kind of, Almost like visualizing whatever I think I have no longer here. So I do that a lot. My own body and everything, death. Yes. So when I visualize him dead, (laughs) he was sleeping, then I start crying. And then the appreciation, yes, arises. Yes. Overwhelming. Oh, my gosh. I've never met anybody. I have this exact experience with with my dog, and I have been waiting to meet somebody. (laughs) Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a practice for me, right? It's a practice. It's funny, Vanessa. It doesn't really, it's not something that, I mean, some of us, I guess, have been coming here many in lifetimes. We have so much wisdom and then we just automatically kind of already engage with these practices since a young age. But for me, it has been a learning process. And, and um, although I was very intuitive and I have been into the invisible world, but it, it is a practice, isn't it? It doesn't matter how much realizations we gain, it still takes commitment to practice almost going deeper into what we already think we know or the realizations we have had it has been my experience. Is that has been yours too? Definitely. I remember saying to a friend not that long ago, I don't understand. I've done so much deep work. It was like, I was thinking, I was like, how am I stuck here? How am I back here? It was one of those kind of moments. And he said, this was just the wisdom in this, just jaw dropped. He said, deep compared to where you've been or deep compared to where you're going. <laughs> mm, compared yeah. to where I'm going, I guess yeah. I just scratched the surface. That's it. And then the other question about was about what is to be a mother as of today? And going back to what he said, so the book that you have written is We Are One, How One Woman Reclaimed Her Identity Through mo- Motherhood. And then I have to say this even before, I wrote it down here because it caught my attention. Beautifully said, you describe a moment with Pepper, your daughter, Oh, yes. It's chapter 33, right? You're right. I was overwhelmed by love for you. It was too much for my body to hold. And it pushed its way up into my eyes and out through tears. 
I know it sounds insane, but I loved you so much in that moment that it felt like my heart was breaking. And then later on you say, our love is still perfect and I want to stop time and hold us here forever. My heart's breaking because I know I can't stop any of it. You will grow up, you will grow up. That uh, kind of stopped me. I'm like completely, uh, I paused and, and I thought about my dog, my husband, not everybody that I'm attached to in a sense engaged with, <laughs> with a deep love, sense of love, uh, attached love. And then now we're, we're talking, we'll be talking about motherhood. I want to hear that from you. Does this still feel the same? Is that a practice for you to look at her and just go deeper into that love? Well, if you could see me right now, you'd see that I'm crying. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Even hearing that back just flooded yeah. my system with the grief and the praise and the depth. And motherhood has broken my heart in a way that I couldn't have even known to pray for. It's, and I, I relate to heartbreak, I think, maybe differently than most people. My primary goal is to get my heart to break as often as possible, <laughs> as much as possible, as big as possible. <laughs> <Wow>. Yeah. <laughs> because every time our heart breaks, it's like, oh, I just wasn't, oh, I wasn't big enough yet. Oh, I wasn't big enough yet. Like, there's more room. There's more room. So for me, motherhood is the most efficient container for that to occur that I'm aware of. And I feel pretty protective of, uh, I've never said this out loud, so let me find the words. I feel protective of all women in relationship to motherhood because I believe that motherhood belongs to all women and whether or not we are mothers. I don't know if this is true, but my hypothesis is that on some level, as women, our identity is shaped by motherhood, whether or not we are mothers. I am a mother. I am not a mother. I wanted to be one, but couldn't be. I never wanted to be and feel guilt about it. I never wanted to be and don't care. It's, it's so interesting in our culture, and maybe forever, this sort of who are we in relationship to motherhood, especially after you become a mother and you go through this huge, huge identity loss and transformation. I suppose my my desire is to somehow open up the possibility that all women through motherhood, whatever that means, gets to access this complete opening of love. It feels like a sacred portal. There's something about the sacred feminine, divine feminine, the way it it's described. And I, I cannot say that it's just something that belongs to females, let's say spirits in a female body, because the spirit or who we are, the unconditioned presence, it's genderless, so it's free. But there's something about that energy that that kind of, it's, it's a comparison, because that's what we do with our brains. Um, we whatever we know, it's actually, we are comparing to something else. So it's kind of feels like when I compare, it feels like the energy of women, the incarnated, the gender. But I have met men who had the same energy. Uh, the more spirited, the deeper they go into that unconditional presence, unconditional love, the more feminine their physical presence also becomes. Mm. That's interesting to see. Have you uh, noticed that? <laughs> yeah, there's, um, it's like the holy androgen is what comes to mind. Like the, the deeper we move into union consciousness, the less polarity we experience everywhere. So it would make sense to me. I mean, I'm just literally like just responding to what's coming up as you said that because it's such an interesting exploration. Yeah, the more we move into union with God, with the divine, everything that is separate or opposite also unifies. That's and I'm right, so like right. a baby, baby, baby on the topic, <laughs> but that's just been my experience. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah, that's exactly. It feels that way, right? It even seems to be that way when with yeah. the looking, with the eyes, external eyes. 
So now it's a good question to ask you about the idea of God. I know you write on Instagram, you start, uh, it's almost like, it's, I think it's a prayer, it feels like a prayer, God, release me, release me from any chain that binds me to smaller expressions of self in union, liberate me into the fullness of my expression, free me into my truth. So you say more than that, but I just have the beginning here. So is that your idea of what God is? unconditional presence, uh, divine love, or something else? You know, I've never, ever been asked this question. And the reason why is because up until, (laughs) again, very recently, I have been divorced from God. Like my reunion with God happened so intensely and so, it seems like so fast, but probably was really 30 years. It started when I got pregnant because until that point, I was really um, only interested in material, if I'm really honest, and anything spiritual was a strategy to get more material. And because that was such a divine uh, interference, (laughs) 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 it it kind of forced me into submission in a really Mm -hmm. frank way. And so from that time, that was about four years ago, I have been on this really intentional journey to go beyond myself. And so I suppose if I had to define what is God, my truest answer is I have no idea, Mm -hmm. but I know it when I feel it. Mm -hmm. I know it when I'm away from it. And the closer I get to it, the more I never want to (laughs) leave. Yes. In the moments where I have felt the closest to God, just kind of going back to this idea of joy and grief, or when I can, it's like I remember in the moment that I'm not human. And I remember that God is actually like the most beloved lover, like that kind of like lover, father, every relationship you can imagine rolled into one. And the pain of being separate is so intense that I want to stay in that pain because it's the closest I can feel. And that is how I know God so far. (laughs) I love how open you are and genuine and present. Um, Yeah, I have heard that before, which also makes a lot of sense. I do a lot of um, the studies that I do in spiritualities from Vedanta. I'm not sure if you heard about it. It's a Hindu philosophy school of spirituality of of understanding. It's almost like science and spirituality coming together. Mm, and mm. that's, I heard that from one of the, the monks. If you say you know God, then you don't know. Mm-hmm. But if you, you say you don't know, then there's a, a very beautiful chance <laughs> that you do know because yeah. God cannot be described. One of my favorite poems, yeah. there's a really, really wonderful book called Love Poems from God by Daniel Ladinsky. And my favorite one is called Troublemakers. And it says, since no one really knows anything about God, those who think they do are just troublemakers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, right. So true. (laughs) Troublemakers. Um, Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Especially in in the sense of describing, right, what that is. Although we attempt, it it feels really good, doesn't it? Um, Even to talk about that. It does. Right? That um, unconditional love, that presence, that we don't want to leave, a place where we want to stay. But I don't know, the more I, the deeper I go into it, I see that everything is God. There's nothing that isn't. So it's almost like it's it's so close to us. It's so close to this experience now, talking to you now, that you can't separate. We cannot separate what we think we are from God. So that's Mm. how close Mm. it is. There's no gaps. Not at all. It's just very so close. And maybe that's why we miss it too, because it's yeah. right here. <laughs> it's right in front of us. When you said see. that, I'm like, I made it sound so simple. How did I, how could I not see it for so long? <laughs> yeah, isn't it? It, it? That's what I'm, the understanding is. Like the deeper I go, the more I, I see that. Okay, so what did that look like? Like living without God? I thought I was living without God many years ago. I searched seeking God. What did that look like? It's the same way, same thing. Nothing changed, really. So before and after the realization of what that not is, because it's um, it's not a thing, the understanding of what God 
we can say is, but it's not really is because it's not a thing. <laughs> yeah, even to use words to describe it. But it's just so, it's here. It never it never left us. And, and I have heard that before. We left God, but God never yes. left us. You know, I my first reunion with, my first uh, mm-hmm. reintroduction, I suppose, to God was I wrote a hate letter to my spirit guide. Yeah. I mean, full of rage and <laughs> yes. swear words. And, and I was like, oh, I'm back. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> kind of like a, a toddler who's mm-hmm. like come back in the room after throwing yeah. a tantrum. Yes. And it was such a welcoming, it felt so welcome. And then I kept, uh, you know, it, I don't know if you've ever, as an actual human on the planet, had this experience where you sort of, blow up at someone you love and then realize like, okay, I'm sorry for my outburst. Yeah. I am ready to act, you know, and yeah. have a real conversation. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> my sort of coming home into God was like that for about mm-hmm. a year straight of that sort of, I'm going to fight you and want mm-hmm. you and fight you and want you and fight you and want you. <laughs> yes. And this real allowing myself to be in full embodied somatic rage at God abandoning me. Mm-hmm. And I was just letting myself, like I remember saying to my spiritual teacher, if I could kill God, I would. <laughs> like that's how angry I was. Yeah, And that opened me up to this very sweet moment one day where I realized, you know, mm-hmm. oh, I left. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, right, right. That's it, yeah. I left God. God didn't leave me, right? It really feels that way. That's why one of my, the overarching practice, it's that commitment to stay, always to stay close to it, not to leave it, as the ego, the the separated wholeness, as I call it, tends to do. It seems to be very natural to to try to leave home and be wild, (laughs) This is a good time to ask you about your book. So we are one. Talk to me about the book and what was inspiration and did you set an intention from the very beginning? I always say that this book felt more like an assignment. Yeah. I never wanted, I never had any ambition to write a book, any particular desire to, it it occurred to me that I probably would because I like writing. Yeah. But it wasn't, there was no, uh, like it wasn't spawned by me, I suppose. Yeah. The the way the book came about was very early on after Pepper was born. I was laying in bed with Pepper on one side and my husband on the other. And I was so aware of how much I wanted every ounce of my being to go into her and how none of it really in that moment wanted to flow to my husband. And it was so scary because I I was still really working through really the trauma of becoming a mother for me. Mother, becoming a mother was quite traumatic for me. And I just saw in that moment how easy it would be for me to go down this, what I would have called like the very traditional road where you end up sort of a mother to your child and your husband becomes the errand boy, I think is the language I use in the book. And I, and I actually just wrote this really, really heartfelt message to this mastermind group that I was in, in bed on my phone. And as soon as I hit send, I thought, Oh crap, that's the first chapter of my book. (laughs) And so that was how the book came. And then the book was really a tool for my own evolution more than anything else. One of the ways that I best teach is through learning. And I think what happens to be really unique about my particular soul's journey that I'm more and more coming to terms with, because it's not my favorite aspect of myself, like not the one that my ego would choose, is that my highest service to humanity is in complete, vulnerable, raw, in real time expression of how do we move through life and how do we let life move through and develop us. Mm -hmm. And so motherhood in this book was really the first time that I had consciously chosen that. To make this, I call it contribution. It is, um, Mm -hmm. it's clearly a contribution to humanity because it feels more and more to me that the more we embody this, this experience we call life, then the closer we get to what we have been talking about, 
which it's, we all wear it there, but it feels like the conditioned body mind. They still have, they have to be trained to be close to God per se. Yeah. So that's what it feels like. The work you're doing, everything about it, everything Thank I you. read, it's really truly beautiful. Thank you. I want to mention that you're also a transformational speaker and you're a coach. And the coaching career started before the book, right, Vanessa? Yeah, quite a quite a long time before the book. Right. Talk to me about the coaching. You say something beautiful in your bio. Vanessa was put on this planet to liberate women into their highest potential professionally, power spiritually, and expression personally. So I love this um, this statement. So talk to me about the coaching. How do you coach women to become the true expression of themselves, liberated from the conditions? I often refer to myself as a spiritual samurai and a soul guide. Yes. In, a, in addition to coach, coach is a very easy title and it never quite captures it right. <laughs> for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very practically, the work that I do is often immersion focused. So the bulk of my work with anyone happens in person. So I have, I really have these three containers. One is a free four hour event. One is a three hour in-person immersion and one is a nine day in-person one-on-one immersion. And the reason why that's the, the, the bulk of my work is because at least for the women that I work with, it's not so much it's not about rushing transformation because it's not at all like come to Denver for nine days yeah. and we'll be done, yeah. like fully baked. Yes, yes. <laughs> and there's True. a sort of depth that when we're able to just keep descending into with another person who's just like kind of holding our feet deeper and deeper and deeper, we touch something unforgettable that is so us. Like the, my, the most important thing to me is that my people know themselves as themselves and then can be themselves in all circumstances, in all areas of their life, in all relationships, in all moments. And of course, that is an almost impossible thing to do. But the self-trust and trusting God to do that creates just so much liberation. And so that's the, that's the work that I do. It's very trauma-informed. I use any way in possible. So with some of my clients, it's very practically oriented around building a business, but we do it in a way that continually pulls in more and more of their expression and relationship to God. For some people, it's about healing from unbelievable trauma that just like won't quit and letting them move into the, the courage to be just fully embodied in the trauma so that they're not afraid of it. So I kind of say whatever way in I'll take, but at the end of the day, it really just comes back to feeling free, like liberated. Yeah, that's a beautiful. I love those words. I mean, what's not to love about them? Freedom, liberation. <laughs> it's just kind of free, almost like the energy of that. It makes us, something happens. Like there's mm-hmm. a smile on my face and um, freedom, liberation, right? You said something earlier that caught my attention and I was curious about. And no, on, that was on Instagram. Yes, that you post about financial issues and all that. And then you said that was actually, paraphrasing you, it was a gift. Actually, that was a good thing. So I would love to understand that deeper <laughs> from you. So what is about losing money or the status, the position that we are kind of, what is the lesson there? Is that a meaning that you're assigning to it or it's something that we can all learn from? I think it's probably both. Right. I think it's probably, it's for sure a meaning that I'm assigning to it. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. And I believe that for a lot of people in our culture, this would carry great meaning. And I, even as you started to ask that question, I thought, man, I really need to do a live that just lays the whole thing out in so much detail because there's so much about this experience that makes it what it was. But to, to really summarize it, I had been really, really, really focused on money almost exclusively for the majority of my life and not in this you know, I need to own a yacht and be the most powerful guy on the block kind of energetic, though I don't know that I would have rejected that either. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was more like uh-huh. the, the, just the, the language, like the, the energetic language would have been money will save me. Just money will save me. And I never felt safe in the world. So I want, but money made me feel safe. 
Um, I also thought some certain level of material success, being well-known as a coach, being respected and recognized would also result in a lot of community, just like lots of friends and being accepted. And so they're very esoteric concepts, but they were really important to me. And so just about everything just got sucked into this money vortex where even when I would learn really powerful spiritual technology, I would use it as a strategy to try to make more money. <laughs> and so, and then I was, had this other part that felt so ashamed by my desire for money that it all was just warping my power. It just was the pursuit of it was getting in the way. The guilt of the pursuit of it was getting in the way of having it. And so I always had this really weird relationship to money that I thought more money would solve. And then also running in the background, I had this unconscious relationship to God and money, which was if God really loved me, it's like he would pay me. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I witnessed all these other Uh people that I admired who were so close to God talking about money in a way that I couldn't even fathom. And so Mm. the way that I internalized that was, okay, well, if I were really close to God, it would be showing up in my bank account. And then therefore, because it's not, I guess I haven't proven myself enough to God or I'm not spiritual enough. And so I was really just like on all sides getting so distorted with money. And so what was fascinating is that over the last couple of years, I have been just as deep, I think, as almost as a person can get in the practicalities of making money and the skill of making money and the wealth consciousness aspects. And then simultaneously in the deep exploration of who am I, who is my soul, who is God, and getting into literal actual rituals and ceremonies and union with God. And so one of the things that I have had not been able to ignore over the past year was the ways that I was self-sacrificing even just a little bit and being out of alignment with my soul to make money. And more and more, it was working less and less where historically in my life, I could really just sacrifice whatever necessary to earn money and it just wasn't working anymore. So my ability to earn money, although my skill was going through the roof, was it just wasn't connecting. And so money literally slowed down, which was terrorizing the part of me that clung to money for safety. But at the same time, my relationship with God was getting like indestructible more and more. And so there was this trust in the unraveling that was also happening that was very confusing <laughs> because the other part that was like, God will save me with money or he will punish me by taking it away. Those were the two dynamics. I did this ceremony on my birthday to basically create union with Venus, who is my goddess archetype and my inner child the same day. And the next day, this, all these financial structures that had been kind of wobbling came down very practically. Like there was no money in my bank account for some very, 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 very rare, weird reason. All of my credit cards were canceled and it was a situation that I think previously would have, like I would have been like almost considering suicide. I mean, it was that like terrifying. And what I felt instead was pure, utter liberation and instantaneous like belly laughter, joy, elation and bliss. Because I think for me, it was not so much about encountering the thing I was most afraid of more than the deep, deep knowing that it was given, this whole thing was orchestrated by not just God, but my reunion with God. And for whatever reason, you know, I probably much of what I described that had to look like this financial failure and collapse because it took away the shame of money. I could have never had this conversation a year ago. It took away the fear of God. And it, it took this transactional relationship I had with God completely out of the way. It was like the conflation between money and God. Also, they both broke and unified at the same time, which is a very weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. Not weird to me in the way yes. I'm thinking yeah, here. Of course, it makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> yes, because we are not. Uh, we're not what we think we are. So that's, we are already there. That's interesting. Nothing can give us, nothing material can give us that sense of freedom and peace. 
as this, as you call it beautifully, the reunion, the union with God. There's nothing because that's what we are. So it makes so much sense. Uh, we are setting ourselves up for the satisfaction and unhappiness by always trying to achieve the next thing and, yes. and always trying to, to get money, whatever it is. It's a sure thing. <laughs> we want more and then the greed factor and then and that causes the satisfaction. And then for those who are always looking to have the money and the material things and don't have, they're just into deep sadness and unhappiness. It's very obvious to me now, and I'm so glad you, you got to this point too. It sounds very much like you are, yeah, you are merging, becoming life itself, because I don't see separation, as I said, between God and what's happening here. So it's just kind of turning. It's almost like the eye seeing the eyes, and it's, it changes everything, all perspectives from the human experience. It, it changes everything, everything. For me, it's, it's the same thing. But it doesn't stop the movement of making money and doing what we do. It doesn't really change anything. It's just, it doesn't have the same energetic, let's say, force, kind of energetic weight. Yes. It, it, that's dropped. That's so much lighter now. It's okay yes. to make money, not to make it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I'd heard my whole life, you know, I've been a student of Zen Buddhism for years and understanding this desire and wanting or the, you know, the ego and the hearing it all, but not ever really maybe fully believing. It. <laughs> and, and I don't actually know that my desire for money has diminished. Like I still really want to be super wealthy, but the charge and the sort of like subtle toxicity of it has been removed. There's much more honesty, integrity, reverence and respect and freedom around it. It's the attachment, I think. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. in Buddhism it's it's very big, the message on attachment. So yeah. it, it is like the dispassion for for the transient, for things that are not real. Because the only yeah. thing that's real is God. There's nothing that, that is real beyond God or beyond, before, under, nothing. So it <laughs> doesn't matter what it is or how it is. <laughs> Even though, you know, sometimes we put a lot of value into um, spiritual, let's say, knowledge or even experiences, mystical experiences and all. But yeah, even that is transient. It's passing. Mm. All of that will, will go. But there's something here that never goes. Yes. So... Gosh, I will talk to you forever. We're almost at the end. I want to mention the blog post too that you have written, Stop Resisting Resistance. <laughs> I love your depth. I said that before, uh, I think off record. I have to say it again. It's so beautiful, Vanessa. And I almost want to tell you, oh, please don't lose that. <laughs> don't don't leave that, that space. Mm. And hopefully if we meet maybe 10 years from now, 20, you're still there and stronger and the same. <laughs> it's truly beautiful. Thank you again for being you. Thank you. Let's see, I have made notes here about your book too. The chapter two caught my attention. <clears throat> One, of course, you start the book with um, I know pain intimately. And then you talk, we had the conversation about pain and suffering. And then you also talk about I never wanted to be a mother. And then you say, Pepper, I love you and you are the best thing that ever happened to me. I love how you, um, you make sure <laughs> that she knows that. That's not mm -hmm. one. They are different. Uh, you just be so honest and so present to the experiences because we can't lie to ourselves when no. something happens, right, Vanessa? We just we feel in a certain way. We don't. That's what it is. Yeah. And then everything about it. It's just a spiritual, uh, very much a spiritual journey to me. That's how it comes across. Although, as I said, everything is spiritual. And then I love the, your comments about motherhood is not hard. That's a very insightful chapter two, chapter 30th. You're very, very honest. And um, I love the 31, chapter 31, I know nothing. <laughs> um, that's so honest. <laughs> I need yeah. to keep, that's the one I probably should read every day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. Like you, you just make me, I almost want to put somewhere here, just print it and have it here. Because we tend to think that we do know. And then I have the final questions for you. There's so much that we can could talk about. And I hope to meet you one day, uh, perhaps in person or another interview or however. It's freedom itself happening, right? So it doesn't really, we just keep doing what we do. But um, 
it's almost like a vision that more human beings could become as deep as the people that I meet here because it's just incredible how how open they are to life itself. So that's my vision and my wish. <laughs> and sometimes I want to give them a hug. <laughs> I want to meet them all and hug them. But I already did. It's already here. There's nothing that can be achieved out there. It's already has been already been felt, your presence. So I have the ending questions. Uh, yeah, before that, Vanessa, would you like to read a passage in your book? Oh, the cover was a true divine gift. I don't know if you can tell when you look at it, but actually Pepper is a photograph and I'm drawn. Yes, yes, yeah. I the, the, symbol yeah. Of them, the symbolism of that was, I think in the moment, like she was just kind of born perfection. Yeah. And I experienced motherhood as an invitation to be recreated. So mm, that was yes. that. Was huh. <laughs> yes. Um, mm. One of my favorite pieces is really, oh gosh, I could go either way. I think I'm going to read the one called Wild. That's one of my favorites. It was really what the invitation to motherhood was about for me. Let's go there. Okay. And really, um, oh my goodness, I just experienced such a, <laughs> such a moment of divine magic right now. Because yeah. I was really in between mm. both this, this piece and the last one. And I'm, I've been in this energetic dance right now in this, accepting another invitation, which is another program that I'll be launching soon called Alive. That's a group program. And when I open to the first page of this Mm -hmm. one that I chose, the first sentence is I'm coming alive. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's it. (laughs) That's it. Okay, message received. Yes. So the chapter is called Wild. It's when I I really, really realized, I think at the, the deepest level that I had been given a gift that I would not have been able to access without this experience that I was going through. I'm coming alive, like really alive. It feels like there's someone else inside of me tearing her way out to the surface. Sometimes it scares me and I want to push her back down, but more often I want to unleash her. She's wild, scary almost, but scary in a way that's sexy and untamed. She's me. She's scarceiba. He's afraid she'll leave him. She reads books called Untamed, and he looks at me nervous. But he's so wrong. She wants him, all of him, more of him, endlessly. He brings her even more to life. She wants to grab his hand and sprint into their life, twirling, falling to the ground, laughing. She wants to dance all the time. But when she dances, she doesn't follow a video. She doesn't use choreography like I did in college. She feels the music, and it releases her. The more she feels it, the more she moves. And when she gets a taste of freedom, it sets her hair on fire and the flames burn wild. She is the flame, the heat, the fire. And she's wild, devastatingly wild. She's impatient, but in the way of someone imprisoned for a lifetime who knows freedom is imminent. The energy of freedom fills their soul, pushing them out of the prison doors. And she's expansive, massive, endless, limitless free and she's happy this was significant it's not in the book but this is significant for me because i had not described myself as happy right she can't stop smiling Mm -hmm. she's so happy to be free she adores life the lines between her and life are blurred you can't tell where she starts and life begins for 30 years i didn't trust her she got me into trouble In sixth grade, my art teacher asked me to write a letter to her about what I loved about art class. This wild me told the truth. She wrote a letter explaining why she shouldn't have to write the letter, that art class was miserable and the teacher was mean. We got sent to the principal's office and I had to apologize. In second grade, she ran away from day camp and talked her friends into coming with her and they got lost in the trees near the school for hours. Even then, she knew they were fine. She stared in defiance at the school counselor, tearing over her, scolding her for chasing her freedom. In high school and college, she dove headfirst into her feelings for the men who used her body and discarded her heart. And she followed her heart into the pain over and over, always trusting. Hair on fire, she charged into life, into her desires, and into love. She never thought twice about being herself. And she was hit from all sides with discipline, heartbreak, and rejection. And she just kept throwing her wild into the unknown. She didn't care. But I did. 
It hurt. I hurt. And I buried her to keep myself safe. But safety has made me numb. And now I am letting her out. I'm not just letting her out. I'm unleashing her wildness into the world, into my world, and allowing her to take it over, to take me over, to let everything that's not me fall away forever. Wait, the clothes, the city I live in, none of it is her. And my life, my spirit, and my body are hers to claim. She has a ferociousness that would scare me if it didn't excite me so much. She wants to tear out of her prison like a wild animal. The feeling is indescribable. Elation, a kind of joy I've never felt. I almost feel insane. I want to laugh so hard I cry. I can't tell if I'm laughing or crying. The more I feel her, the more I want to reach inside of myself, grab her by the forearm and pull her out of the depths and thrust her out ahead of Swirling, dancing, and laughing to lead my life, raise my daughter, coach my clients, and love my husband. Take all of it, I say to her. Make it yours. I can feel it. It's amazing how you're almost like sending this transmission for that part of us that wants to to express, you know, the freedom of what this is, but it can't a lot of times. So that's an invitation for all of us. Women and men, I know we have talked about um, your work. It's mainly for women, right, Vanessa? Do it you is, also? yeah. There's some men that I work with where it, where it feels aligned. But, yeah, more and more it feels truer that that the heart of it is women. Yes, right. It, it speaks to me. And it feels like women, we, we do need <laughs> to hear that. The woman here and, and all the other ones, my life, my sister, just thought about my sister. It's amazing how that came. Um, I often don't think about her in interviews. Uh, so that she probably needs to hear that, but she doesn't speak English, so I have to translate. <laughs> Thank you so much again, Vanessa, for your beautiful presence, message, your mission in this reality, following your heart, your wild heart, <laughs> or that part of you you call wild, that to me is just so pure. Thank you for everything. And before we say goodbye for today, I have to ask you this question. How do you define success these days? It's very, 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 very different. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I suppose there's one definition and one marker. The definition would be how much range I can experience and, and really enjoy, like full range, the full range of the human experience without suffering, like really with joy. And the second is how I know I am successful is basically how many times I belly laugh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's funny. The belly laugh kind of makes us laugh too. There's something about the energy of that. That's interesting. The idea of success, right? Fulfillment, success. You know, I tend to kind of always go back to the the fundamentals, the essence, like I'm already what I'm looking for. There's mm. nothing to be added here. So I kind of, you know, I really kind of wish not to be trying to cover anything up because that's the practice too, already the sense of being already complete, whole, fulfilled, because that really feels true to me. Yeah. Doesn't it? I know yeah. it takes some, um, it might take more of going deeper, the work of going deeper, but that really, really, um, as when I think about success, that's what comes to mind every time. And of course, as you said beautifully, whatever it's acquired here in the in the material world and the physical world, it's to be enjoyed. It's that's what we go back to: joy, kind of um, the expression of fulfillment that we already are, flavoring everything that's here that's being acquired in the physical world. Ooh, so. I love the idea of joy as a flavoring. Yes, red topping. I'm gonna like put. Gonna, I don't know what I'm gonna use. Maybe like edible glitter or something. Yeah, right, right. In my cupboard in my spice cabinet and label it joy and just start spraying. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that sounds. That's a beautiful vision, isn't it? Yeah, I try to visualize those things, joy. And I actually wanted to have. Um, ah, gosh, I'll be talking to you forever. So I'll end this here now, but then we'll continue the conversation. Thank you so much again. And Vanessa for your presence. And before we say goodbye, where's the best place to find more information about you? The easiest would be to go to thepowergift.com. Yeah. It's easy to remember. And it's it's truly one of my favorite transmissions, my favorite trainings that I've ever created. It's free. 
it takes you through what I call the power acronym. And it's sort of my high level map to everything that we've been talking about today. So there, it'll land you on my website. And from there, you can, you can see emergence, my free uh, virtual training that I do every quarter. It'll take you to my website, my email, my social links everywhere. So I'll have that on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon. Bye for now, Vanessa. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Vanessa Brewers and her work, please visit thepowergift.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.